This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services. And a pleasant good afternoon. Uh, welcome to OBS Talk Show Presents. I'm Keith Williams, your host. And with us today, we have, uh, state your name, please. Richard Capriola. Capriola, okay. And he is with us uh, here today. I believe we had him uh, in the past, and he's a mental health expert. And so, uh, Again, we don't talk about this a lot, uh, mental health a lot. And because of the times that we're living in, we're seeing a whole lot of more people that are going through uh, uh, mental situations. And so we're going to kind of like unpack that today and perhaps some other things. Uh, Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Keith. It's a pleasure to be here. And you're absolutely right about the mental health crisis that uh, uh, that we've been experiencing for a long, long time, as well as the substance abuse crisis that's been going on. So in the adolescent population, we have uh, a severe uh, mental health uh, crisis going on. And we're continuing to see a lot of substance abuse within the uh, adolescent population. It's It's not as as extreme as it was before the pandemic, uh, the pandemic um, significantly reduced adolescent drug use and alcohol use because kids were pretty much uh, pulled away from their social environment and their friends and peers. Um, and, but since since the pandemic, uh, there's been a slight rebound in the percentage of kids that are using substances. It's still not uh, not back to where it was before the pandemic, uh, but it is um, it is moving up slightly. Uh, so it's not back to where it was before the pandemic, which is good. Uh, but we still have major issues with kids that are using uh, alcohol, uh, using marijuana, uh, vaping, both marijuana and nicotine. Those are still high levels. And, uh, of course, we have the uh, mental health crisis that we've known has been going on for over a number of years. And the pandemic seemed to intensify that uh, as kids were struggling with depression and mental health issues and sleep. And uh, so in, in some respects, um, you know, the pandemic sort of brought to light a lot of the things that were going on with both substance abuse and mental health. Oh, I forgot to mention for those of uh, our viewers and listeners that uh, are tuning in or will be tuning in, uh, they may not know who you are. So okay. I'll let the audience know who you are. Yeah, I, I have um, I've been a mental health and a substance abuse counselor for uh, over two decades. I started out in the field of education and transitioned over into mental health. And then from mental health moved into uh, working with adults and teenagers who were struggling with mental health issues as well as substance abuse issues. I worked for over a decade at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital that treats both teens and adults. 
And uh, I was an addictions counselor for over a decade, uh, working with teens and adults who were diagnosed with uh, uh, mental health issues like depression and, and anxiety and trauma and a whole host of other issues, uh, as well as uh, they were struggling with a substance abuse issue as well. So I did assessments, I did individual counseling, and I did group therapy as well. Um, I, I know that according to your bio that you deal with uh, uh, mental illness in, in uh, adolescence. Yes. Uh, we also had to talk about the uh, mental health in adults, because I, I, I think that uh, as a, you know, if, if you are a parent and you're dealing with that, then obviously that child is going to feel the effects of mental illness in their parents. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Uh, you know, it, it, it sometimes affects an entire family, not just the, not just the children, but the adults as well. And many, uh, many adults are struggling with, uh, uh, an undiagnosed and untreated mental health issue as well. And unfortunately, many of them are not getting the help that they need. So they struggle through these issues of mental health, whether it's depression or anxiety or some type of trauma, you know, they're, they're out there struggling, trying to do the best they can. And then many times don't have access to the mental health services they need, or perhaps they don't have the insurance coverage that allows them to get the mental health services they need. So, uh, you know, whether it's an adult or whether it's an adolescent, uh, the mental health crisis that we're seeing is, uh, is, is, is continuing to, to grow. What are some of the contributing factors to uh, the mental health crisis? We know we are going through, uh, we just, we're recovering from a pandemic and you also have uh, a political unrest, you have social economic barriers. So what, what are some of the, in your opinion, what are some of the factors that are contributing to mental health? Well, I think you did a great job of listing some of the major ones right there. Uh, certainly, uh, social unrest, uh, the political climate that's going on, uh, the fiscal issues that people face, the, the basic economic issues that many people are facing. Um, so there's, there's multiple crises that are going on. And then there's a whole social environment, uh, uh, issue as well as people are, uh, tied to social, um, social systems, uh, uh, social platforms, uh, which, uh, they seem to get a lot of their information from, uh, and sometimes that ramps things up as well. So it's not just one thing. It's a combination of things that are contributing to the overall mental health of the population I, I know for myself that I had to take um, a couple of weeks off from my normal activities because I was like really overwhelmed with what was going on and uh, some of the things that uh, the, the issues that was you know plaguing people and I had to take a couple of weeks off to kind of like deal with my me, uh, yeah. this this whole self care thing, and so my interaction with people was like limited to none. Yeah. 
uh, I wasn't on my phone a lot. Um, social media, of course, you know, was limited. It was at that time that I really didn't want to be bothered with anyone. Yeah, and yeah. I, I streamed my calls. It was very, uh, I didn't spend too much time on in social media, and people was like, you know, why are you doing this? You know, they call it being in your feelings. You know, that's what they say, but a lot of people don't know uh, just how severe and how serious it is when you have a person that's going through a mental health episode. So they kind of assume that you're in your feelings. And I'm like, you know, you really don't. I mean, until you walk up out of my shoes, you're not going to understand what I'm going through and what I had to do, what I have to do. And then I have some people say, you know what? Don't worry about them. You're doing what's best for you. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's, that's important for, you know, people to recognize what their limitations are and when it's time to pull back and, and, and pull away from things that maybe are becoming too overwhelming and too stressful. And like you did, you know, take a break from it to, 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 to recharge and just get away from the stress and the pressures, uh, because they, they can wear a person down, you know, fairly quickly. Um, and, 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 I think we have to develop the ability to recognize when it's becoming overwhelming and then have some some ways in which we can pull ourselves back and and just breathe and and and, and get away from this stuff for a while. And it was like the the best thing that I have ever done. Yeah. Um I mean I I done some type of work but uh you know, with so much is going on, you know, you kind of get, uh, you don't feel like doing anything. And so I was like, okay, so I'll just take this time to just, uh, just rest and, you know, like meditate or, you know, or, or something like that. And as I said earlier, a lot of people really under, under, don't understand that a person who's going through mental illness sometimes have to sometimes deal with that through no fault of their own. And until they walk a mile in my shoes, they will not be able to, you know, understand that they think that they're being abandoned. They're like, oh, you don't want to talk to me anymore. You know, it's it's not that. It's it's not that, you know, it's just that, you know, I'm I'm that there's something going on in me that is it's, it's off balance, yeah. you know, and I, and I need to, uh, to deal with that, uh, you know, even continuing going to, uh, counselor, uh, therapy mm-hmm. and making sure that you're taking your medicine. And a lot of times, a lot of people like myself really don't want to talk about these things is because people are so judgmental. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, we had this whole culture cancel, uh, culture cancel thing to where, you know, if you say a certain thing, you do a certain thing, you know, you open up, you be vulnerable, you know, you get canceled. You know, listen, I don't care. 
you know, I don't care. I mean, people can cancel me all that they want, but I'm going to remain true to myself. Yeah. You know, well, it's, it's for me, it's for my, <clears throat> it's for my mental well-being. And if people do not understand that, then that's on them. I have no control over that. I only have control of me. Right, right. And and you're right, there is a stigma uh, about mental illness that unfortunately uh, keeps people from doing what you did, keeps people from talking about it. They don't want to be judged. And, you know, we're, we're very judgmental, unfortunately, when it comes to mental health and mental issues. And and it just causes people to to suffer sometimes uh, alone. Um, and, 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 and that's part of the problem that we have with, with mental health. Um, is that um, there's not enough services, there's not enough programs, there's not enough people to provide the services to those who are suffering with a mental health crisis to to actually help them. Uh, Based on the last conversation, um, uh, we are in 2024 right now. I know it's been maybe a year or two since... uh, uh, You've been on this program. Yeah. What do you you believe now? Has anything changed in terms of the state of mental health from from during the pandemic then after the pandemic? Uh, Are are we in better shape now or we are in in worse shape now? What what is your state of your opinion on the state of mental health? Well, if we look at mental health, I don't think things are all that much different, unfortunately. I think we still have a lot of challenges in mental health. I think a lot of people um, are are still suffering with mental health and not getting the services uh, that they deserve. Many of those services are not available. Access to the services are not available. Uh, insurance uh, help is somewhat limited. Um, so I'm not sure we're doing all that much better when it comes to looking at the mental health crisis that we're going through. Now, there is some progress that's been made with substance abuse, particularly among teenagers. Uh, the level of, of, of substance abuse among teenagers is still high, but it is not as high as it was before the pandemic, um, except maybe for alcohol use. But a lot of the drug use that uh, the pandemic uh, caused the the the, the um, the percentage of kids using substances was was reduced because of the pandemic. Some of that is coming back, but fortunately it is not back to where it was before the pandemic. So if we look at adolescent substance abuse, it is getting better. Uh, certainly if we compare it to before the pandemic, uh, but w- with mental health, I think the pandemic increased the crisis for, for mental health. And I, I don't think we've made a lot of substantial progress in the area of mental health uh, since since the pandemic. I, I think also during that time, I think if I'm not mistaken, that the, the opioid crisis has been, um, uh, opioid crisis have escalated itself during the pandemic as well. As, is there any improvement in that situation? Not really. Um, I think uh, particularly if you look at the drug fentanyl, 
Um, you know, we're seeing uh, a lot of people overdosing on fentanyl and, and unfortunately dying from fentanyl. I think we do have an opiate crisis going on, particularly with fentanyl coming uh, coming onto the scene, uh, and and um, it being it being masked in other drugs so that people that might be taking another drug don't realize that fentanyl has been laced in the drug and they overdose and unfortunately die. So I think we have a crisis when it comes to opiates and particularly when it comes to fentanyl abuse. Um, do you think that uh, government institutions and the healthcare industry, do you believe that they are doing enough to uh, to address those uh, two issues, mental health and substance abuse? No, I don't think so, particularly in the mental health area. I think there's a lot more progress that can be made. I think there are, are improvements that can be made with insurance coverage so that uh, so that people who are suffering from both uh, addictions as well as mental health get the, get the treatment uh, that they deserve, which means perhaps longer treatment covered by insurance, uh, you know, not, not limited to any particular number of days. Uh, but unfortunately, in too many cases, uh, families find that they have to battle insurance companies to get the services and the coverage that they need for their kids or for themselves. So there's a lot of improvements, I think, that we can make to have access improved for both mental health and addictions and, and, and improvements we can make to ensure that people are getting uh, diagnosed, that they're getting treatment, and that the treatment is long enough to make a difference in their lives. So, uh, so we, we have quite a bit of families that, uh, you know, uh, we are uh, seniors on Medicare and we have some families particularly uh, on, you know, Medicaid. And then there's this whole discussion about uh, making Medicare universal, it's called Medicare for all, uh, is, is a big thing coming up. And then in, in some states like Alabama, where I'm at, uh, we don't even have Medicaid expansion here yeah. in Alabama. And so with that, a lot of the hospitals, particularly in rural areas of, of their clothes, like for example, if you live in uh, Selma, which is in West Alabama, you have to drive between an hour and an hour and a half to Montgomery to go to the, the nearest hospital. That seems to be, you know, a big thing. And Alabama's like right at the bottom in terms of healthcare. We're right at the bottom in terms of mental health. And our mental health department is a disaster here. Yeah, that's it that's is an ultimate disaster. You know, but they're work, but they're talking about stuff that does not have any greater, you know, in, in importance. Well, ac access access to mental health, access to basic health care, it <clears throat> should be a fundamental right that everybody has. And 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 unfortunately, uh, you gave some very good examples of how those rights are being denied to people because there's no services, or if they do have services, they're not within reach of the people, uh, which means that unfortunately they're denied those services, and and that's just unacceptable. Right. So, so Alabama, you know, instead of talking about, you know, you know how we're going to, you know, how kids are going to have access to 
to healthcare, for example, you know, they're so gun hold about, you know, okay, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of people in Alabama that said that they're pro-life, you know, meaning that they don't believe in abortion, that a woman should carry a baby to term. But once that baby is born, there, there's hardly no services to make sure that that, yeah. that, that child uh, becomes a successful uh, adult. So I have a pro I have a problem with that. You know, where you're saying that you know everyone has a right to live, but once that baby is born, they say, "Well, you know, you're on your own." You know, how can you say that? I mean, that's really hypocritical, don't you think? I do. If you're pro-life, you need to be pro-quality of life. So, which means that you are pro-life um, from conception, which, as you point out, they, they they agree with that. But after the baby is born, throughout their life, if you're going to be pro-life, then you should be pro-quality of life, which means that your concern is is giving to every adult and every child a quality life. You know, life needs to be quality. So if you're pro-life, that's fine. But but you have to look at what kind of life are you for? And unfortunately, too many kids go hungry. Too many adults go without shelter. Too many adults and kids suffer from mental health or addictions. That's not quality of life. You say that you are pro-life, but are you quality? Are you pro-quality life? Because that's what makes a difference in people's life. The quality of their life needs to be improved. You know, and that's a very controversial subject. And and that's not being talked about. And I think that we, uh, there there, there needs to be a whole segment on on that for real. It needs to be a whole segment you know, on that, because I think, you know, people are, it, it, it has nothing to do with social economic factors. It's, it's all political, you know, because, you know, studies show that uh, uh, Caucasian people are declining, that, you know, pretty soon, I say probably between 2030 and 2050, that uh, they will no longer be their minority in America. And so their agenda is, is that, you know, we need to, you know, have, you know, you know, we need to put things in place so that more people will be born. But the problem is, is that they're not addressing what, you know, uh, what it would take for that child to grow up to be a successful adult. All they worry about is is bringing babies in the world. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, I think I think the focus needs to be on the quality of life and how we can create an environment where everybody is 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 guaranteed a quality of life that allows them to grow into uh, mature, productive citizens that are contributing to society. So I want you to explain to the audience between uh, the difference between being pro-life, uh, pro, pro, pro-quality of life, pro-choice, and pro-birth. 
<laughs> that's beyond my house. <laughs> that's 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 something I'm not really qualified to to speak on to any extent. But uh, you know, we tend to hear these terms thrown around, and I don't think very many people have have asked what well, well, define those. You know, but. Uh, uh, the one we hear about is uh, pro-life. Everybody's pro-life. Everybody's pro-life. Okay, well, what does that mean? What and and you know, explain what you mean by pro-life. And are you pro-life before birth? Are you pro-life after birth? And if you're pro-life after birth, what does that mean? Um, and and people really aren't you know, the politicians that run around talking about this, and even the advocacy groups, they're never pinned down to explain what do you really mean by pro-life? You know, what does that mean? You throw that term around, but what does it mean? We have to think about that all too from a medical medical standpoint, because you have uh, a lot of legislative members, whether it's on the federal level or the state level, a, lo- a lot of them are not even qualified to even talk about that. That's, ne- that's never stopped them before. I know. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not doctors. They're not doctors. They're not mental health professionals. They're just basically playing God. They're making judgments. You know, mm-hmm. judgments that uh, in many cases they're 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 not qualified to make especially when they start making judgments on the medical profession when they start making decisions that control a person's right to make medical decisions for themselves um uh, you know they're 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 just not qualified to be able to pass judgment when it comes to you know a, a person's uh, individual medical health choices. And uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, members of the audience, we we will have to have a conversation about that. So we're going to be in the works of trying to find some experts that can kind of expound on that question that that I have before. Because I think people, you know, really need to know uh, the difference between those things that I just mentioned in the the last question. So we're going to have a future podcast on that. So uh, stay tuned to the uh, Oscillated Broadcast section Facebook page for more information on that. Um, stay, stay tuned for that. Now, moving on from that, uh, and I don't know about you, but I noticed that in, ter- in terms of uh, young people, uh, particularly adolescents and, and uh, pre-adolescent uh, children that I don't know if you've seen it, but I have seen that uh, that they, they, they you know, I feel that, you know, emotionally and mentally uh, they are reacting to whatever their parents are going through. Uh, for example, that maybe uh, they're socially, economically uh, unable to uh, meet their household needs. And so this is what I noticed, that kids re- you know, react to that and they're crying out for help. And we as adults in general we're not listening to them, you know, because we're saying to them, and it's been in the past that, 
you know, you should stay out of wrongful business. But in reality, they are really, they're acting out because uh, they feel the weight of, of what's going on in their household on their shoulders. In other words, they're trying to carry on of their problems and they're acting out on that. Uh, some people, some of them, they deal in certain ways. You know, uh, substance abuse is one of them. Uh, yeah, some kids that uh, they participate in games. Uh, they're involved in, in violent activities, all sorts of things. Uh, what is your commentary on that? Well, there's no question that whatever's happening in the family, the family dynamics, uh, impacts the lives of children. They're affected as well. And so if the family's going through a crisis, <clears throat> that crisis impacts the child. If a family's going through um, uh, a, a rough economic time, that affects the child. So children operate within the family system. And if the system's in crisis or the system is struggling, it's going to affect the children. And, um, and in, in some cases, children will find their relief uh, from the stress uh, by unfortunately turning to some type of substance. Um, what, what do you feel is your role in, in what do you feel is your role in, because uh, I, I know you talk about your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, My role is to try and educate parents about adolescent substance abuse so that they feel less paranoid and more prepared to deal with that subject uh, in the event that they have a child and they discover the child is using a substance like alcohol or marijuana. My role is to uh, provide education, information to them so that they feel better prepared, to know what the warning signs are, to know what to look for, to know what assessments to get done and what treatments are available. Because knowledge is power. The more knowledge parents have about adolescent substance abuse, the more confident they feel and the more prepared they feel in the event that they're confronted with a child that's using a substance. So my my goal is to educate educate parents to help them feel better informed about this topic and to feel more confident that if they're faced with a child who's using a substance, they're, they're able to deal with it in a way, hopefully that will benefit both the child and the family. Let's uh, give some, uh, some statistics, uh, um, uh, mental health. Uh, and this is uh, uh, the most common of uh, points and statistics. About 58 million people are affected with some form of mental illness. That has grown since uh, the pandemic. Anxiety disorders are the most common form of mental illness. Women are more likely than men to experience depression. Those who identify as American Indian or Alaska Native have the highest instance of mental health within one group. 17% of adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17 experience a major depressive 
episode. 33.5% of adults with a mental illness also has a substance use disorder. And there are almost four times as many men committing suicide as women. And this is coming from the University of St. Augustine for Health Services. Uh, these statistics come from uh, uh, the Centers for Disease Control. Okay, so they uh, so according to this study again, there are biological factors, psychological factors, and there's social factors. And and biological factors, genetics and family history may be a cause of mental illness. It is also possible that exposure to alcohol or drugs in the womb will also be a factor. Psychologically, stressful events like a traumatic experience in a person's life can alter their psychology and lead to a mental illness. Social factors like a person's home environment, community, relationships, employment status, and more can affect a person's mental health. Uh, let's see what we got. So those are some of the causes uh, of, of mental health. Approximately 19.1% percent of adults have had an anxiety disorder within the last year. The second most common form of mental illness is a major depression. In 2021, 21 million adults reported having at least one episode of a major depression, which is roughly 8.3% of the U.S. adult population. They also found that there is a higher instance of depression in women there are men. Here's the National Institute of Health. That's what they, uh, that's coming from National Institute of Health. And so from that same organization, here's our percentage of adults uh, that are experiencing the following mental illnesses. Uh, anxiety disorders, 19.1%. Major depression, 8.3%. Uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, 3.6%. Bipolar di disorder, 2.8%. Borderline personality disorder, 1.4%. Binge eating disorder, 1.2%. Obsessive compulsive disorder, 1.2%. And schizophrenia, 1.1%. Okay. Uh, for those struggling with mental illness, about 50% of individuals started to have symptoms by the age of 14, and 75% experienced symptoms by age 24. Uh, here is the rundown of percentages of those uh, who face common mental illness by age groups. Uh, from 18 to 25, 33.7%. From age 26 to 49, 28.1% and 50 and over about 15%. There are also millions of adolescents with mental illness. Us from 2020, 17% of them experienced a major depressive episode. 12% had serious thoughts of suicide. 
and mental health related emergency room visits for adolescents increased by 31% compared to 2019. Uh, very startling statistics is Hello? Yes, yes. All those statistics uh, point to what we've already uh, talked about, and that is, you know, the severe mental health issues that confront people, whether they're adolescents or or or, or whether they're adults. A lot of it points to the fact that uh, uh, much of this mental illness starts in adolescent years, um, and uh, and and people, uh, you know, uh, have uh, struggles with 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 mental health, and it all points to. Uh, the fact that uh, what we talked about earlier is that there is a mental health crisis going on in this country. Okay, uh, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration is a government organization that collects data on substance abuse use and mental health. So this is a 2021 survey that came out. It's called the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. And this includes data from different racial groups. They found that the highest reported instances of mental illness in the past year within one group are within American Indian and Alaska Native group at 26%. Those who identify as mixed race or multiracial is 34.9%. And so if we break that down, uh, we already said mixed and multiracial 34.9%. American Indian and uh, Alaska Native, 26.6%. White, 23.9%. African American, 21.4%. Hispanic or Latino, 20.7%. Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, 18.1%. And Alaskan or Asian, excuse me, 16.4%. How mental illness affect individuals? Children ages 16 to 17 are three times more likely to repeat a grade if they have mental, emotional, developmental, or behavior problems. 21.6% of adults working full-time had experienced symptoms of mental illness within a year period compared to 32.2% of those who are unemployed. 33.5% of adults with a mental illness also reported a substance use disorder in 2021. Those with severe mental illness have a lifespan 10 to 25 years shorter than the general population. Okay, this is how mental health uh, affect communities. There are over 580,000 unhoused people in the United States, and 21% of them have a severe mental illness. In 2021, over 6.6 million hospitals, emergency departments visits were from mental health or substance abuse. Untreated serious mental health results in over $193 billion, not million, but billion, $193 billion in lost earnings 
each year. And since the pandemic, we had 12% of adolescents and 4.9% of adults have serious thoughts of suicide. 69.1% of youth ages 12 to 17 said that they experienced a major depressive episode during the first year of the pandemic. 45.2% of adults with a mental illness perceived by the pandemic harmed their mental health. 14.5% of adolescents said that they started drinking alcohol a little more or much more than prior to the pandemic. And 10.7% of adults say that they were not able to get a mental health services that they needed, which had a moderate severe impact on their health. What do you think about that? I think the data is the data. There's not too much more you can say about it. What do you think needs to be done in order to uh, rectify this situation? We need to expand services so people have access to mental health and substance abuse services. We need to expand treatment so that people can have the length of treatment that they need to help. Uh, and we need to put more money into community resources that serve people who are in need of mental health and substance abuse treatment so that they have access to those treatments uh, and uh, and get the help that they need. Let's talk about uh, your book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance. Okay. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Um, the book... Um, was written after I uh, retired from Menninger Clinic, and I wrote it primarily to be a resource for parents and anyone interested in learning about adolescent substance abuse. I kept it to around 100 pages, so it's not uh, not going to take a lot of time to read, but I tried to put in information that would be valuable to parents. Uh, there's There's chapters that help parents understand what drugs are out there. Uh, most parents are aware of alcohol and marijuana, but they may not be aware of some of the other street drugs that kids have access to. I put in a chapter on the neuroscience of it, which uh, which explains to parents how drugs work in the teen brain and the importance of protecting the developing, uh, maturing adolescent brain. I put in a chapter on what assessments you should get done if you think your child is using substances, what tests, what assessments should, should, you, should, should get done. I put a chapter in that talks about all the different treatment options, what's available, everything from uh, outpatient to uh, intensive outpatient to residential treatment. And there's a chapter that helps parents identify what's a really good program, what's it look like, what is an evidence-based program look like, so that they know what questions questions to ask if they do send their child to a treatment center. Um, and then there's resources that are available uh, that are listed in the book, too. So all of this is to help parents become better informed and, 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 and less afraid of this topic and feel more confident that if they're confronted with this issue, they have the resources and they feel better prepared to, to do with it, do, to deal with it. What if you had a parent of a child that's going through uh, uh, having mental health episode, what, what can be done? Because obviously they're not be able to 
uh, deal with their child's mental health if they're going through some type of mental health issue? Is there any truth to that? Uh, yes, if a, if a parent is struggling with a mental health issue, it it uh, it uh, curtails their ability to help a child that's going through a mental health issue. So in that case, they both need help. They both they both need support and help. So basically, they can like, for example, go. They can go for like family counseling to where they can deal with the whole family at the yes. same time. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that that would be cost effective, in my opinion, rather than have a separate session for the parents than a separate session for, uh, you know, the child. You know, even though uh, that would be, well, to me, that would be more effective uh, because they're able to deal with each group uh, se- separately, but cost most residential treatment programs have a family therapy component to it. It's a very important part of of the child's therapy is to include the family and treat not just the child, but treat the family as well. So that will be done within a family therapy session. Um, in, any ethical issues in, involving that? Uh, I think a lot of people do not know like the, the ethical side of mental health, and I think a lot of times people don't want to really get into that, but I think that is a vital part of the mental health profession, that uh, they are guided by a set of a code of ethics. Yes, yes. There is a code of ethics which governs uh, the profession, whether it be uh, addictions or mental health, uh, there is a code of, uh, of ethics that each counselor, each therapist has to follow, which is to basically you know, provide services that are in the best interest of the client and to maintain confidentiality. Uh, according to your bio, you know, obviously you are uh, uh, you know, an expert in adolescent mental health. Uh, one of the questions I need to ask is, what um, what are some of the things that you have noticed or have heard of that will affect the mental health of someone who is of adolescence or pre-adolescence? Well, a lot of it can be genetic. Uh, some of the mental health issues that are that come into a person are, are genetic. Uh, they run in the family, like many other diseases. Uh, some of it is a result of uh, of substance use. Uh, substance use and mental health issues, uh, unfortunately, go hand in hand in many cases. So a person is not just struggling with a uh, substance use issue. They're struggling with a mental health issue. And in many cases, they're using the substance to medicate the uh, the, the mental health issue. Um, and, and, and in those cases, both the mental health issue and the substance use issue both need to be treated. But unfortunately, a lot of people who are struggling with a substance abuse issue uh, have a mental health issue that goes undiagnosed and untreated. So the person use the person often uh, uses the substance to medicate the underlying mental health issue. Um, you, I think you mentioned earlier that you have a lot of people that are suffer in silence. Yes, and they do not want. You know, they do not want to be vulnerable in this situation to actually get any type of help. Uh, 
Do you know the reasons why that is happening? Well, there's a stigma associated with mental health. That's a negative stigma. And people don't want to be labeled. So I think there's a fear that if they come out and they talk about being depressed or they talk about having anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder or schizophrenia uh, or some type of personality disorder, they're, they're afraid that they're going to be judged by society. And, and unfortunately, that's true in, in too many cases. Uh, so there is a mental health stigma that does not help uh, addressing this issue of the mental health crisis. You mentioned one stigma of mental health, people being judgmental. I know I mentioned it earlier, but are there any other stigmas? I think the judgmental part of it is probably the most pervasive, the most damaging part of, of, of mental health because it keeps people from uh, being afraid to, to reach out and get treatment. It keeps people afraid to talk about the struggles that they're going through because nobody likes to be judged. But unfortunately, in our society, there is a stigma attached to mental health. There's a stigma for addictions as well, but, 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 you know, both of both of them impede an abil- a, a person's ability to get the services that they need. So the stigma that we see attached to addictions, the stigma that we see attached to mental health is a barrier to improving the overall mental health of, of the entire population. Uh, this, this is some great information. And I gave like a bunch of statistics uh, to to the audience to. I uh, kind of get y'all to see that this, this is a, a very serious problem and that I think people need to really uh, take note of the uh, statistics to kind of get people an idea of just how much of a crisis that we're in right now. Um, but hopefully there will be some good news as to how we can address that. And uh, Richard, you are uh, you know, obviously gave some important information on what can we do to kind of like uh, really put this in the forefront. And a lot of it also has to do with mental health awareness. So we need to talk about the stigmas. We need to uh, talk about the myths, uh, what's true and what's not true about mental health. So I think the educational component it's like really important in order to get people to understand that uh, people with mental health are not going through their feelings. This this is an actual this is an actual illness that we're going through. Uh, so we I, yeah, uh, comment on that. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right. It is an illness, and uh, and and we need to provide more resources and more staff and more treatment programs uh, to help these people, whether they're uh, facing addiction or they're facing mental health. And in many cases, uh, those two uh, go together: mental health and addictions uh, that a person is uh, struggling with. And we're going to get ready to close here. We can talk about this forever, and I think that these conversations really need to be have like, you know, maybe we'll have like a mental health one-on-one. Uh, I know uh, mental health awareness month is in March. Uh, so maybe uh, I would definitely like to 
do a segment called Mental Health 101, uh, where people can get the basics uh, 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 about the, the world of mental health. Maybe that right there where people would get a basic understanding, you know, of, of, of what it is. And we would bring awareness uh, to mental illness in a way that people would be able to understand it. Uh, so okay. that would be a future broadcast in May. And it's going to be during Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, so stay tuned for that in the next coming months on that one. Well, we're going to close with a few more questions. Uh, Richard, tell everybody uh, how they, if they wanted to purchase uh, your book or they want to get in contact with you. And do you have a private practice or are you just an advocate? Right now, I'm just an, I'm an advocate. Um, uh, the book is entitled um, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. It's available on and, uh, Amazon as a Kindle or a paperback. Um, it is, uh, you can also go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com, helptheaddictedchild.com. And there's a link that would take somebody directly to Amazon, or you can just go to Amazon and type in the information. Um, and uh, if they go to the website, there's resources there, there's blog articles there. So um, helptheaddictedchild.com or go to Amazon and uh, type in uh, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Okay. Uh, and it is always a tradition here. And um, with this podcast, we have three other podcasts. So it's always a tradition that we allow the guests to have the last word. So, uh, Richard, what is your last word to the audience? Uh, my last word is hope. You know, hope is uh, something that we all need to hold on to and uh, and, uh, and and uh, just believe that things can get better. All right. That is uh, short and to the point. Uh, Great message. Really appreciate you coming on today and sharing with us. Well, I can assure you that the conversation is not, it's far from over. Um, I think we definitely need to have more conversations about this. Like I said earlier, we will have uh, a segment on uh, in May um, highlighting uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. I, I would definitely like to have like a panel more than one person to come on. That's something that I definitely want to uh, set up here. So you'll hear more about that in, in the future. So until then, you know, I hope you got some great information uh, coming out of this. And uh, please, if you can, uh, uh, purchase the book. I'm quite sure it is a great resource for uh, uh, parents and children alike to kind of really understand the severity of the mental health crisis and hopefully that they can uh, find some resources so that both the parent and the child can get the help that they need. Um, so Richard, I just want to thank you for uh, coming back on here. Uh, we rarely get uh, repeat guests to come on here, but if we feel that if uh, that person has a vital wealth of knowledge 
sometimes we do invite them to come back and kind of give us an, an update. And so in, in terms of the mental health uh, crisis, uh, I think that was spot on. So uh, thank you for being on today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. And that will end this segment on, on today. Be sure to join us next week for another great segment of OBS Talk Show Presents. I'm Keith Williams, your host. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. The views expressed on this program are those of the guests and not necessarily the views of management and staff of OBS Radio, OBS International, and Greater Works Business Services. Guests who appear on this podcast are not required to pay a fee and is made possible by RadioGuestList.com. For more information, please visit our website at www.obsintl.cf. Follow OBS on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash broadcast section. If you want to contribute financially to help us continue broadcasting, please go to paypal.me.obsintl. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. This is a presentation of OBS News, which is responsible for the guests and comments. This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International a division of Greater Works Business Services.